2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to read verse 5 through verse 15. These are the words of Paul to the church at Corinth. Here's what he said. He said, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort you, brethren, to go ahead to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it might be a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administering of this service, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, that through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for the liberal, generous sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. But thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Spirit of the living God, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. And we give you the honor today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. And do me a favor, turn beside you and behind you really quick and just tell the person beside you and behind you, I'm glad you're here today. Amen. Let me ask you the question, did you survive Thanksgiving? I got another question for you. Did you survive Black Friday madness? Come on. I'm telling you, I survived Black Friday madness. Well, I'm glad each and every one of you had a great holiday. And as you know, I, I've been talking about, you know, various things about the, the holiday season over the last couple of weeks. This next week, this coming Sunday, I'm going to start a series entitled Christmas Unplugged, where we're going to actually strip away all of the fancy and we're actually going to look at the events that are surrounding the birth of Christ. And, and I think that when we get done with these few weeks, you're going to have a different perspective on the holiday season. But I chose this last month to focus on thanksgiving rather than thanksgiving because, as I said, it ought to be an attitude of everyday life rather than just a holiday on a calendar. And um, I was very careful over the last few weeks to talk to you about the fact that commercialism tries to jump in just less than 24 hours and strip away the joy of the Thanksgiving season. We go from, uh, from, uh, from peace and slumber and turkey comas one day to the next day people are literally fighting over the last television in Walmart. I've seen some interesting videos that popped up on the internet over the weekend and I'm just telling you it just blows my mind the type of things that people will fight over. But Coming up out of this and going into Christmas, I wanted to, to talk about some things. Now, last week, we talked about the measure of your treasure. And I talked about how 
the Christmas holidays and the holiday season need not be a stressful season among all of us, especially when we learn to put God first in our lives. But uh, last week, you may remember the illustration on tithing that I did, and um, I hope that you learned something from that. Today, I want to talk to you from a different subject of giving, and so I want to ease your mind again one more time this morning that there is no second offering that's going to be taken and anything like that, so uh, you can sit on your wallets tightly today. But I do want to talk to you from a different aspect of giving because I believe this is the singular key that helps unlock the blessing of God on your life, and what better time for us to lock in on it than in the holiday where everybody is focused upon giving. Today I want to talk to you from the subject, making room. Everybody say that with me, making room. Now when you think about making room, you might think about making room for clothes in your closet, maybe you've, you've outgrown things, or maybe you're uh, beginning to get rid of the fall stuff and get into winter stuff. When you think about making room, you might think about cleaning out the garage and, and, and making room for some, some new toys or something of that nature. You might think of just cleaning out an old bedroom in the house. But today, that's not what I'm thinking about when I talk about making room. Today, I want to talk about making room for God to bless your life. Making room for space for God to come in and bless you and those around you. And I thought, what better time to think about this than the Christmas season? Now, let me just take you on a journey. I grew up with a family that did not have a whole lot of money, being honest with you. Christmas time, I found out later in life it was very stressful for my parents because they didn't have a lot to give us. Um, we got excited about things like socks and underwear and shoes and apples under the tree and things of that nature. I mean, uh, we did as good as we could, but we just didn't have it. But I remember, even as a child, the anticipation that I had at Christmas time. Can anybody remember what it was like to be little, and on Christmas Eve, you hardly could go to sleep? Because wanted to wake up and get the gifts underneath the tree, right? You just had this anticipation. And if your parents were the type of people that put the gifts under the tree early, how many of you would make a confession? This is not a Catholic church, but how many of you would make a confession this morning that you went and grabbed the presents and you tried to shake them to, uh, to, to get the contents inside. Uh, like, is this, come on, is this Lincoln Logs? Is this Legos? Like, what is this? Or, you know, is this an easy bake oven? Like, you're trying to figure out the contents of the box. Anybody, anybody? Am I the only one? You do that in anticipation, trying to figure out what in the world is in there. And then you finally wake up on that morning, you get your parents or your grandparents or whoever your guardians were, and, and uh, you get in there, and, and they go, all right, kids, and you know, if you come from a Christian home, hopefully you told the Christmas story, and you prayed, and you focused on the real reason, but, but, but even not, your parents say, okay, kids, it's time to open the gifts. There's something about that wrapping paper. You just tear open, and moms, your heart is just like, ooh. Because you know you spent all that time to get that bow pretty. You spent all of that time to get that wrapping just right, and you just get the crease in there. And it's just like, it's just like cards that have money in them. They're not reading those cards. They're just like, whoo, $20. You throw it away. And, and, and so like that. I don't know about you. I'm thankful for a gift anytime. But like there's something even now about the wrapping. Don't just put it in a, in a Walmart bag and just say, here you go. You know what I mean? That's fine. It's, it's whatever. But there's something about the anticipation of the contents. 
of just trying to just tear it uh, open and disregard it and see what's there, right? And then as parents, you have the joy of seeing the thrill on your kids' eyes. I would tell a story today, but I won't tell it with all these kids in here. Remind me on Wednesday night, I'll tell you. I'm not going to be responsible for planting bad seeds, but let's just say we weren't always super surprised at Christmas time because we knew how to wrap presents. <laughs> okay, so disregard that. You didn't hear that. So there was the anticipation of trying to find out what was under the tree. And there's this conversation that Blonnie and I have every year since we've had kids of our own. She says, babe, what you want for Christmas? And what do I always say? I don't want anything. And to which she replies, that's not a good answer. What do you want? I was like, I don't want anything. I really don't need for anything. And you know, let's just be honest. Those of us are grown and you have a job. If, if you want it and you have it, you can buy it. And if you don't have it, you can save up for it or believe for it and buy it, okay? And so the, the, the thrill of the gift receiving on Christmas is not for me now as an adult what it was as a child. I'm just going to be honest with you. As a child, I had no thought whatsoever of, man, I sure do need to buy somebody a gift this year. Furthest thing from my mind. In fact, I'm positive in family get-togethers as a small child, I got a pop in the mouth from a parent a time or two because I asked a cousin that doesn't normally buy our family gifts, hey, where's my gift at? You know what I'm talking about? It's kids. You know, you're supposed to get gifts at Christmas. I mean, that's, that's just the whole thing of it. You never once in a little mind, you know, now thank God for a teacher or school teacher or, or a church leader that encouraged us to write a card for mom and dad. But I'm going to be honest with you, they not encouraged us to do that. We probably wouldn't have done it because as a kid, that's usually not your first thought, right? Not your first thought to be generous towards other people because we're all about wanting to receive something. But now as we get older, specifically myself, my joy comes not from getting the gifts. My joy comes from seeing my children receive the gifts that I give them. Anybody else reciprocate those feelings? And as I was thinking about this week, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said, you know that you have crossed over into a new realm of maturity when your heart is more about giving than it is receiving. Because when you're a child, you don't think about giving. And here's what I want you to know. People are born inherently selfish. Children, by nature, most of the time don't share coming out of the womb. Very territorial, very possessive, me, mine, you can't have it. If you try to take it, I'll hit you with it, right? It's kind of that old adage, if I can't have it, nobody can have it. And so we have to teach our children to share. And that's a quality that comes with maturity. And so as I was thinking about that around this time of Christmas, I got to thinking about how as a parent, my heart, my joy, my passion is to watch my kids be able to get something 
from me for Christmas. And then it clicked on me, the quote from Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, when the Lord is quoted, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I was praying about that. I said, Lord, what is it? Because to me, receiving a gift is a gift, right? I'm, I'm receiving something from somebody. So it's like a gift. And I said, Lord, how is it that you said that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive? And here's what the Lord said to me. The fact that you can give is a gift. The fact that you can give is a gift. So yes, it is indeed more blessed to give than it is to receive. So this morning, I want to begin to talk to you about this a little bit as we look at making room in our lives for the Lord to bless us. A true mark of moving to spiritual maturity is going from taking to giving, from taking to giving. I want to give you some background of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Those of you that know this, Paul was an apostle. Paul's primary portfolio as an apostle was that of a missionary. He planted churches and he went in and established government in the church and set things in order. And Paul's unique testimony of being converted from being a Pharisee, high-ranking Pharisee, he finds himself in this weird middle of going to the Gentiles. And, and, and Paul had this thing that kind of followed him that, you know, people thought that, you know, he felt a certain way or whatever. But there was a group of Jews who were in distress. This, new, this newfound church, this Jewish congregation, these Jewish believers were struggling financially with just the basic needs of life. And Paul goes to the church at Corinth who is not excelling in the area of generosity. And he tells them, listen, I have come to you because about a year ago I reminded you that there was an opportunity to give towards these needy people. And Paul was trying to tell them that I want you to be reminded of the, the, the Macedonians and how they gave sacrificially and how they were blessed when they helped the hurting and the needy. And Paul was basically trying to show two things. Number one, Paul was trying to show his favor and his love towards the Jewish people because people thought Paul had some kind of major disagreement with them, but, but Paul was trying to show the Gentile church that he wanted to be able to help them and be a blessing to them. On the same note, Paul was trying to teach the church at Corinth that there's something special that happens when we focus on other people's needs besides our own. And so this morning, this message is not about giving offerings, although it is about offering. But this morning, this offering that I'm talking about today is about helping people who are less fortunate than you. And I want you to see what Paul talks about to this church. Now, he begins in chapter 8, and he begins to talk with them about the church at Macedonia and what they did. And we're not going to go back and read all of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, but I will tell you, that as we do look at it, there are some things that stand out just right off the page. And if you're taking notes or you're following along with these notes, you can say this. First of all, Paul said about the Macedonians that they gave in spite of their circumstances. In other words, the church at Macedonia was not a wealthy church. They didn't have a, a, a million dollars in the bank. They weren't set for life. 
these people had an element of struggle themselves. And Paul encouraged them to give in spite of their circumstances. Let me just insert this right here. If you wait to give till everything is right in your life, you'll be waiting a long time. Paul encouraged them to give in spite of circumstances. He encouraged them to give like Jesus, and they gave sacrificially. How many of you know Jesus was the ultimate sacrificial giver? Jesus gave sacrificially. Here's another one. It says they gave willfully. In other words, they had a good attitude about it. And then number four, they gave in faith. They gave in faith, trying to obey the best that God had told them to. And because of that, Paul shares a testimony that how God took the impoverished church of Macedonia and through their giving to those who were less fortunate than them, God took their, their poverty and brought them into a place of blessing. It's amazing what happens when we focus on the needs of other people. How God introspectly turns the situation around when we learn to live with an open hand like Jesus. Now, because of this, God blessed them and he made room. Everybody said made room. He made room for more of the blessings to flow in their life. Now, today, I want to ask us the question, what does Paul's truth to the Corinthians mean and how does it apply to us today? I want you to go back with me to our text. And I want you to look at just the first verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. Paul writes, here's what he says. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort you or to encourage you, brethren, to go to you ahead of time. Everybody say ahead of time. And prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised. This is important. That it might be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to take my first thought from the, the very first verse of our text. Here's number one. It's, you, can, you can get this. It'll be on the screen for you. Teaching about giving is necessary for believers. What did Paul say in verse number five? He says, my brethren, I thought it was necessary. Somebody say necessary. People say, Pastor, why do you got to teach about giving? Well, <clears throat> first of all, because Jesus taught about it. But number two, it's necessary because here's the thing. If you don't learn the act of generosity and you don't have right teaching concerning giving, you will always have a bad attitude about it. You will get this implanted seed in your mind that all the church ever wants is our money. All they ever want is this. All they ever want is that. It's always interesting to me, though, we never say that about Walmart. We never say it about Best Buy. We never say it about Sam's Club or Costco. And we go there and receive a lot. But it seems like when churches teach about giving, because of some bad seeds and some things that have happened through the years, bad teaching, that all of a sudden now we have this angst about giving. Well, Paul said, hey, I thought it was necessary to come and talk to you about it so that this becomes a matter of generosity in your heart and not a matter of begrudgingness. Let me tell you something, because, because your attitude in giving, it does matter. But I want you to notice Paul's talking about this generous gift. 
Last week, we talked about tithing. Tithing is giving God the first portion, the first tenth of your income, and he blesses the 90. That is the tithe. This morning, we're not talking about that. See, there's a difference between tithe and offering. Most people don't realize there is a difference. You don't give your tithe, you return it. Belongs to God. Giving is anything above that. Here's another way you can put it. Tithe is meant to facilitate what happens in the house, but offering oftentimes goes outside of the house. When we give to missions, we give an offering. When we receive a benevolent thing for somebody, it's an offering. And so here's what I want you to understand here. Paul's not talking about the tithe here. He's talking about our generous, benevolent giving to those who are in need. And so I want you to understand this is important because selfishness, not generosity, is human default. You've got to teach people generosity. I told you at Christmas time, one of the things that separates immaturity from maturity is that the immature or the children are only focused on, give me, give me, what can I take? But the mature are focused on, what can I give? Not just money, but in service and in time and all of these other things. And so there comes a place of maturity where our focus is different And guess what? We find out, those of us who are givers understand we receive more in our giving and through our giving than we do our receiving. Because here's what I found out. You can't outgive God. You can't do it. It's not even possible. So, don't get it twisted this morning. We've got to understand that God wants us to know the truth. Why? There's so much negativity surrounding the subject here's the second thing i want to show you from this passage look at verse six and seven i promise you i hope i'll leave you shouting by the time we get out of here today look at verse six and seven here's what paul said but this i say he who sows sparingly will also reap what sparingly but he who sows bountifully will what reap bountifully but look at verse seven so let each one give how as he purposes in his heart. That's important. Not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's stop right there. This is important. The first thing we said was teaching about giving is necessary for believers. Here was the second thing. The measure, your measure of giving determines our measure of receiving. Now, this is where people get all wonky with me, but I didn't write the Bible. I'm just quoting the Bible. Ready? Our measure of giving determines our measure of receiving. Now, let me just just say this. Paul writes and he says, if you sow sparingly, you're going to what? Reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap what? Bountifully. Now, here's where people get it messed up. They don't understand the meaning of the words. So, We don't use sparingly or bountifully a lot, so let me put this in modern-day English. Here we go. Another way to say this is this. You can either give stingy or you can give generously. You can give stingy or you can give generously. Now, here's what you need to know. A sparing offering and a bountiful offering or a stingy offering 
and a generous offering, look at me right now, don't miss this, cannot be determined by an amount. Can't be determined by an amount. Let me tell you why. Because the woman, who, the widow who gave her last mite, she gave a bountiful offering. It was just a few shekels, a few pennies. Wasn't worth much, but to her it was everything. She gave a bountiful offering. But you know what? A millionaire, let's just say Bill Gates came, or somebody like that, that are worth millions, or Jeff Bezos, billions, and they wrote a $10,000 check to our project that we're having. Some of us are liable to oogle and awe. Ooh, that's so generous. It's real. Listen, $10,000 for somebody that has that kind of money, is, that's coke, I call that Coke machine money. That's play money. They got that much in interest in their 33rd account last month. Like, that's nothing. So we can't judge whether or not something is generous or something is stingy based on an amount. This is where it comes to God looking at our hearts. Right? Are you with me? So listen, God blesses us not based on the amount that we give. God blesses us based on the heart behind what we give. Listen, this is why it's so important. If you read the previous verse, Paul said, I thought it was uh, uh, purposeful, it was, it was expedient for me to come to you, it was necessary for me to come and encourage you and exhort you about this gift so that you can prepare beforehand. Everybody say prepare. If you want to learn the art of generosity, you have to learn the art of prepared giving. Now, let me just tell you, if you hear that we have a missionary coming to speak on January the 5th, and right now, it's the end of November, you've got five weeks to pray about what to do, right? You know it's coming. You have five weeks to prepare. Can I tell you when not the time to prepare is? When the ushers are walking down the aisle and you reach down and you give the last quarter in your purse that's got a big old piece of gum stuck on it. Now, if that's all you have, that's one thing, but that's not preparing your heart to give. When the ushers come down the aisle, oh, bless God, here we go again, another missionary, another quarter. God, God doesn't bless that heart. God blesses the heart that says, honey, you know, we really don't have a lot of extra money in our budget. So you know what? One of the Sundays this month, we're just not going to eat out. We'll eat at home. And that $40 we would have spent or $50, we'll give that to the missionary. That is prepared giving. That's planning ahead of time. That is putting forethought at the beginning of your mind how you're going to use your resources that God has blessed you with to be a good steward. See, God's people have foresight. We plan. Amen? We put God in our budget. We put him in the forefront of our mind. And so the measure of our giving determines the measure of your blessing. Here's what God is saying. If you want me to be stingy towards you, then you just be stingy. If you want to be blessed, then you be a blessing. Whatever that looks like, God says, here's the parameter. You sow a little, you reap a little. Every person in this room who's ever been a farmer understands 
The measure of wheat that you receive back in a good, successful harvest is totally 100% determined by how many seeds you put in the ground. You don't put in one seed and get like five fields worth of wheat. It doesn't work that way. But let me tell you something. As Christians, what did I say at the beginning of the message? Now, again, there's no special offering being taken. This goes into everything. This is even stuff you give to outside of the church. Please hear me. You see a poor person, a hungry person, a homeless person. This goes in so many different directions. But you need to understand that if, if you want God to bless your life, and you want to have room to be a blessing, you've got to learn to live like this and not like this. Christians who are immature, they never give. They don't give their time and service. They don't give an offering. They don't give to missions. But they sit and they take, 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 take. We only move to a place of maturity when we begin to participate in the generosity process. And God wants to bless your life. The problem is, is that we're looking for programs to bless our life. We're looking for other things to bless our life. But if you skip God's principles, you choke out the very source of God wanting to give through you. I thought that would have went over better, but it was like a lead balloon on a submarine. All right. God knows our hearts when we give, and that should scare us. See, I don't get upset with people when they have nice things, but what does bother me it's when people have Mercedes living, but they have skateboard giving. They've got money for Disney World, cruises. They've got, they got money for everything they want, but won't give to the homeless mission. They won't give to an outreach for a single mom. They won't give for a missionary to build a church. They won't do anything. And then they wonder, why is God not blessing me? Well, as Jeff Foxworthy used to say, here's your sign. Here's the third thing. You ready? Look at verse 8. I'm going to go through this quickly. Verse 8, verse 8. I just want to help you today. Verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Look at verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed which you've sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which, notice this, causes thanksgiving through us to God. Here's the third thing. Number one, let's recap. Teaching about giving is necessary for believers. Number two, the measure of our giving determines our measure of receiving. And here's number three, the grace of God abounds towards us when we give. The Bible says he's able to make all grace abound towards us. Listen, that's a scripture to get excited about. Because people say, Pastor, how do I get myself out of this hole? Well, just like a parent at Christmas time, when you focus on meeting the needs of others beside yourself and you get the focus off of yourself, 
your attitude changes, God begins to bless you and things begin to turn around in your life. Notice what God says about the grace of giving. Look with me at verse 8. Look at this. This is awesome, guys. This is stuff worth shouting about. Now, now notice this. Verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Notice this. That you have all sufficiency in all things. Somebody say all sufficiency. That means everything you need. Thank you for that good childish amen. I love it. All sufficiency in all things. Okay? Now notice this next thing. Notice what he says here um, as you're looking at it. He says that you may have an abundance for every good work. People say, I wish I had money to give to everything. Give to everything. I'm about to show you it's not rocket science. I've already told you the amount is not enough. Some of y'all are frustrated with me in your mind right now, and you're saying, Pastor, I don't have an extra $10. I don't have a Start with a dollar. Start with 50 cents. It's better to give 50 cents to missions than give nothing every single month. Come on, somebody. Listen, start somewhere. Notice this. He said, I will give you sufficiency of all things. Because here's what I know. If God can find out that he can trust you with 50 cents for missions, it won't be long. He'll start trusting you with a dollar. And then $5 and $10. And why? You watch and see. I've proven this. Now, notice this. I told you before service, the church is not just gauged on how many people they have, but how many people they send. You're not blessed by how much you have. You're blessed by how much you release. So listen to this. He gives you abundance for every good work. You know what that tells me? Givers always have something to give. They do. Givers will find something to give. And notice this. This this right here, if you're a writer in your Bible, you need to write this down. Verse number 10, now may he, talking about he, he is capitalized. When it's capitalized, who's he talking about? God, all right. Now he who gives, he supplies or he gives, he gives seed to the sower. And he gives bread for food. Now notice, God gives seed to the, it never says he gives seed to the eater or the keeper. God cannot sow seed, and God can't multiply seed in the natural or in the physical that has not been planted in the proper place. Are you with me? It's impossible. You can have the finest crop seed of, of wheat that has ever been produced, but it won't grow in your, in your pocket. The farmer has to go and plant the seed. And let me tell you, the Bible says... That he gives seed to the sower. Now listen, there was a theologian one time. They wanted to argue with me that seed in the Bible is never money. Because they take you to the parable of the seed and the sower. And he explains it. He says, and the seed is the word of God. But in this passage, he's talking about giving. God looks at our giving as seed. So notice this. He gives seed to the sower and bread for food. What does that tell us? That means if God blesses you to give, 
He's not going to let you go hungry. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. I could tell you a little game I played not too long ago with $500. I gave $500 away, and it kept coming back every time I gave it away. Seriously. Me and God had a little game going. And I'm like, what in the world? He gives you seed to sow and bread for your food. But notice this. He multiplies the seeds that we've sown. And he increases what? The fruits of our righteousness. Now, what's the fruits of our righteousness? What Righteousness means our right standing with God. So when you give with a good heart to good things, God multiplies the seed that you've sown and increases the fruits of your righteousness. You know what that is? That's good works. That's souls saved. If you give to buy Bibles for a missionary and somebody reads that Bible and they get saved, not only do you get that credit for the person that was saved, but anybody they lead to Jesus in their lifetime, you get credit on your account for that. You, you're, you increased the fruits of your righteousness because of your faithfulness. Now, here's the next thing. I'm getting ready to close. Somebody say, thank God. All right. Honey, start the car. Verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. Notice this. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for the liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who belong uh, for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. And then notice what he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let me tell you, let's recap one more time. Number one, teaching is necessary for believers on giving. The measure of our giving determines the measure of our receiving. Number three, the grace of God abounds towards us when we give. And here we go, number four, our giving helps others and it pleases God. Now notice, this wasn't, this wasn't an offering to buy a jet. It wasn't an offering to buy a mansion. This, off, this offering was to go to help Christians in other places who were suffering. Okay? This was one part of the body meeting the lack of a need in another part of the body. And Paul is encouraging these who've not yet understood generosity. And he's saying, listen, I, I know that it's painful for you to give but God is going to bless you through your giving. But besides that, there's the fruit of the giving that we need to look at. First of all, here it is. Our giving meets the needs of the saints. Our giving meets the needs of the saints. Folks, when you give to a missionary, which we do every first Sunday of the month, you're giving to people who have committed to go minister to a group of people and not receive anything from them. Paul's model as a missionary, and even the way the Assemblies of God is set up, our missionaries are not allowed to go and work and take money from the people that they're ministering to. That's the missionary model. 
Because, especially going in and reaching new people, you don't want the accusation of you're just coming to us for our money. So what they did was they relied upon the support of the sending churches, churches who had been blessed to be able to give to those to be able to go and to start new works. Now when new works were established, then yes, those ministers could be supported by those churches. That's biblical. You don't muffle the ox that treads out the grain. But in missionary work, Paul committed himself because he had no wife, he had no family with him as a tent maker where he could and receiving support from other people. Listen, when you give into a missions offering, you are helping the body of Christ. You're taking of your excess and in most cases your need and you are planting that into the hands of somebody who is hurting. In the middle of COVID, one of our missionaries that we support, Christopher Alam, he was sending money to Pakistan, helping those who were in slavery in Pakistan, in the brick kilns, making bricks, and he was helping to make sure they had food. You and I, you didn't even realize you participated in that. But by giving to that missionary every month, you participated in that. And guess what? You're giving blessed people. When a widow, when an orphan, when somebody in foster care, when somebody who needs a help or a handout, they need some encouragement, and we reach deep inside and we give, we are meeting the needs of the saints. Now listen, God could easily open up the heavens and drop a few kilos of bricks on our head of, of gold. And I'm, He can do that. But you know, 99.99.9% of the time, that's not how God chooses to do it. God chooses to allow you and I to be the answer to somebody else's prayer. Did you hear what I said? So get this. You got an impoverished Christian praying on another side of the world being persecuted. And they're praying, God, please help me. God, please help me. Send help. Send help. Please do something. God speaks to a missionary to go, and that missionary says, God, I can't go. I'm willing to go. I don't have the money to go. I'm willing to go if you'll send me. And God speaks to people like you, people like me, to write a check or to send a credit card offering on our debit card every month to send a missionary across the world. See, your giving helps other people, and in helping people, you're pleasing the Lord. You see, there's a joy in generosity. It also creates a testimony to the less fortunate about the faithfulness of God. As Darren's coming this morning, I'm going to close this message. And in this holiday season, I'm not going to stop right here and take a special offering. Although it would be kind of hilarious. In this holiday season, I do want to challenge each and every person in this room. In fact, I want you to stop right now, turn to the left, the right, and behind you, and say, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. I want to encourage each and every one of you to do something this morning. You want God to make room, you want to make room in your life for God's blessing? 
I want to encourage each and every one of you to do something. I don't care if you have crazy amounts of money or you feel like you have nothing. I want to encourage each and every one of you this morning, like Paul encouraged the Macedonians and he encouraged the Corinthians to help the hurting. I'm going to encourage you, everybody. There are people in this room, maybe you're just a taker, 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 taker. I'm giving you an opportunity this work to change your giving status. I'm giving you an opportunity to change your giving status. I'm encouraging. I'm challenging each person in this room to find at least one person this next few weeks. Preferably this week so you don't forget about it. And I want you to do something to bless them. If all you can afford to do is take a, a, a loose leaf sheet of paper and have a number two pencil and write a kind note on it, then bless God. And give it to somebody who needs encouragement. Do it in secret. Don't make a big deal about it. Don't post about it. Just do it. If you find out about a family who can't buy their kids Christmas because it's a legitimate, listen, a legitimate thing, everybody needs help every once in a while. You shouldn't need it every ten, for, for 10 years in a row. But if somebody needs legitimate help and you can help them, do it. If you can take a name off the angel tree and buy a gift for a family, do it. If all you have is enough money in your pocket to buy somebody's coffee at McDonald's and they look like they can't afford it or they're struggling to find the change and you step up and pay for it, if that's all you can do, do it. Why? Because we're never more like Jesus than when we give. Can I tell you why? We were bankrupt spiritually. And He gave everything for us. He that was rich, splendors of heaven, left heaven, came to earth, became poor. So that us who were impoverished through Him might become rich. I want you to think about this. We, that old song said it like this. He paid a debt we did not owe. We owed a debt that we could not pay. But Jesus stepped in and made space for us to be right with God by giving the ultimate sacrifice. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We are never more like God than when we're generous. So here's my challenge to you today. Let's step out of the realm of immaturity, of give me, give me, give me, give me. And let's step over into maturity and start asking God, God, where can I be a blessing? Where can I give? Where can I help? Again, don't attach monetary figures to that. 
Because some of you need to start giving some time back to the Lord. A lot of times we feel justified by throwing money at something when God really wants our time. Today, I'm asking each one of you today, find somebody to be generous to in this season. Preferably somebody who cannot pay you back. The Bible says even the wicked people give to people who they feel like they can get something from. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. But blessed is he who gives to the poor when the poor cannot repay him. Amen? You say, Pastor, I don't know, I feel pretty poor. There's always somebody worse than you. Always. You may can't give a whole Christmas dinner to somebody. By faith, go grab an extra can of corn and give it to somebody. Come on. Start somewhere and watch the floodgates of God's love and abundance be released to you because of your faithfulness. Amen. Stand up on your